0: Fellow knowledge seekers, I hope you've had a chance to check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. And if you checked it out, please give it a good rating. It's a wonderful podcast. Water is one of the biggest driving forces of life on Earth. It's been Incredibly influential in human history, from the time we were hunter gatherers looking for fresh sources of water, to the uh, uh, agricultural revolution and building bigger and bigger cities. Eventually, having plumbing, uh, the way that it changed sanitation, uh, irrigation, and what is the what's the future? Of water. Are we going to have enough of this stuff? How can we make more clean, fresh water? I just listened to a very interesting episode Alchemy, Turning Milk into Water, Sustainable Water Management. And this episode is all about this very candid conversation about water, coffee, industrial practices, sustainable value chain, and social responsibilities with uh, this man, Carlos uh, Gali, who Uh, whose job it is to make sure that the biggest food and beverage company in the world is leading a healthy and sustainable lifestyle. Incredibly important stuff. You guys are into science. You guys are into learning, caring about the world, caring about our future. This podcast is for you. Check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. Jumping right into this podcast today after some lightning fast plugs. Thanks for the support on patreon.com slash Shane Moss. Uh, really helps out the podcast and I'm putting more content on there that you can check out. Hear a little more about my life. And I've been exploring my personal biases lately, been having some fun with that. Check that out if you want. Also, go to shanemoss.com to check out my schedule. Coming up in May, I will be in Minneapolis and Grand Rapids. I'm going to start filling in uh, dates for this summer and the fall very soon. So thank you very much and enjoy today's episode.
1: Are we?
2: Yes.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I'm talking with grad student at Wichita State University in the Biodiversity Laboratory where she studies dung beetle diversity and its interaction with carrion. Rachel Stone is joining me. Hello, Hey, thanks for having me in yeah. your lovely home. Happy to. I appreciate it. I, I got a hold of you uh, last minute. Someone suggested you, I found out that you studied dung beetles. Yes so exciting the most
1: lovable of beetles it really
0: (laughs) is (laughs) what are other beetles eating
1: um well god other beetles are eating just about anything you can think of we've got beetles that are eating leaf litter beetles that are eating other beetles
0: oh that's kind of exciting pretty cool okay yeah and then
1: the most metal of all the beetles that eat dead stuff dead animals this would be our carrion beetles for example right but uh yeah i mean just about anything that's edible
0: mm And so, so you do the um, dung beetle diversity with its interaction with carrion. So, yeah. so are they? Are these dung beetles also eating the carrion?
1: Um, that's a really good question, and that's kind of what I'm wondering. Um, there's a lot of weird history with dung beetles and carrion, and we know for sure that when we bait a trap with a dead animal, um, dung beetles are attracted to it. So you know, you go out and do a study trying to find information on the range of carrion beetles for example you stick out these traps with dead rats and the cups are getting over filled with dung beetles mm. um, we also know that dung beetles feed on carrion in um regions of the world close to the equator so tropics and uh tropical regions of africa and central america for example um, we know that dung beetles are filling this niche of feeding on carrion because carrion beetles don't have a range that extends to that region. So it's really an interesting example of um, uh, enterprising insect finding this open niche and filling it. But in temperate regions like our own here in Kansas, we have carrion beetles. And we also have a lot of herbivore dung, so you wouldn't think that a dung beetle would be stepping out of its place, really, and feeding on dead animals, but we still see them coming to carrion here. Um, and it's been hypothesized before that dung beetles are uh, indirectly attracted to carrion. So as the process of decomposition is going on, the gastrointestinal tract of an animal becomes exposed. And so mm. really, they're still going after the dung. Right, it's, right. Just like it's just like inside. Yeah, at. exactly. Yeah. So um, my research was kind of looking at that exactly. In the Flint Hills of Kansas, we had for a, a year long study, just a number of transects out there slinging dead rats on the ground and seeing where they're coming um where the dung beetles are coming to the carrion so whether or not they're targeting the the tail region where you would expect if they're actually attracted to the gastrointestinal tract they'd be targeting that region versus how they're um targeting the head region which would be more likely to be targeted by carrion feeding insects um like flies and carrion beetles for sure so kind of con- um, comparing the distributions of dung beetles on these two, if you can imagine, micro habitats of a rat.
0: So you just uh, throw out a dead rat and they come a running?
1: Um, basically, yeah. Um, How
0: far away are they Are they um, smelling the... Yeah,
1: they can, bird. on a on a good day, they can sense it from uh, kilometers away. Mm-hmm. Um, they are picking up the odor cues through... Uh, the wind basically so they just if the wind carries it to them and they'll fly into the wind directly to the source the best they can
0: hmm. um so if, i mean first off uh, how uh, how is it that you got into uh <laughs> i mean was it just your Ever since you were a little girl, you just knew that dung beetles were or or (laughs) you found out that there's a beetle that was interested in dung and you just got obsessed.
1: I've had a pretty meandering uh, life in terms of what I thought I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And but I think the constant throughout my life has been that I've always just been fascinated by the knowledge that there are other worlds going on below our feet, tiny worlds all around us that we don't even consider. Uh, When I was a kid, I used to catch roly-polies all the time and just kind of ponder them in my hand. Um, But for a long time, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I think every teenage girl does. And um, from there, I started to get um, interested in parasites, like ticks and things that you might find on a dog and i think i started to just the more i learned um parasites
0: become... weren't just they weren't gross enough
1: for... no no i needed to get grosser yeah, right. something that's eating poop or something yeah, yeah, right. but um i don't know i think there's something really really cool about um the strategies that other organisms have for making it in this crazy world
0: i just i just saw what is that a dung beetle on your shirt too? these are actually ticks oh they're ticks yeah. so you have insect. Is it, this is this really is a lifestyle it for is. you.
1: I've got them on the wall here too. That's
0: amazing. So I think most people um, that are in any way familiar with a dung beetle have have are used to just having seen the uh, probably on planet Earth or some yeah. some documentary you see the dung beetle rolling the the mm-hmm. little ball of of dung, which that is we. It's funny when you always um, it, like the wheel is considered this great human innovation oh, yeah. like the invention of the right. wheel that changed everything but the dung beetle's been they've doing been doing this it forever yeah for it's old uh, news yeah so, i mean why wouldn't you, you roll so it's pretty intuitive you put something in a circle right. it works, rolls way better than a square yeah. i'm sure i don't think the wheel was that hard to no. figure no you don't see like That's cubes oversold. of dung getting pushed around <laughs> Um, didn't, um, didn't, uh, was I reading some sort of, uh, old, oh, what was it? Egyptians or something like Mm -hmm. that used to. Worship. Oh um, yeah. Uh,
1: this one beetle in particular, uh, Scarabius sacer, is the sacred scarab of Egypt. It's a really cool guy. Um, I have an example. You could take a picture of it if you want, but it's um really gorgeous. Uh, fairly large beetle and it's what we call a roller which is one of the behavioral behavioral guilds that you'll find in dung beetles so when we think about dung beetles we think about them rolling dung but that's actually just one of the um number of strategies that they employ and uh yeah i bet
0: the other dung beetles hate that i know that they, the yeah. rollers get yeah, all yeah, the, they're the real celebrities yeah. of the
1: dung beetle world but yeah these guys were revered in egyptian culture and they sort of this Signified. is before television. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. They have a lot going on. But uh, it's sort of to them represented this uh, life and death, this rebirth of the day, um, you know, this cyclical nature of the sun coming over the horizon. And it was represented by this little dung ball that they would roll over mm. a hill, basically.
0: <laughs> that reminds me yeah. of the sun. Oh,
1: <laughs> life and death and huh. everything.
0: That's beautiful. Yeah,
1: I mean that's pretty poetic
0: yeah um well that it that is i mean it is amazing that there are these little recyclers that mm-hmm. are um so crucial to the environment uh you were telling me before the uh before the podcast that when Australia started bringing cattle over yeah. they had a problem with all of this stuff see I always me not knowing uh uh much about dung beetles and i don't i uh, believe it or not i don't uh i don't find myself thinking about dung beetles that, i know I'm, I'm sure that seems crazy well, to you
1: one of the weird ones but... i
0: know and so i always i always just thought um cow manure in in like at least in the earlier years where it's a little more free range i thought mm-hmm. it was fertilizing the soil and whatnot. But I didn't mm-hmm. realize that if you don't have these dung beetles around, this stuff is piling up and yeah. becoming an issue. Yeah.
1: Essentially they'll just dry up and, and sit there for a really long time. Mm. Um, they'll get degraded by microbes and fungi, but once they're dried out like that, it just, it takes a long time and they'll just uh, pile up. Um, it's also a problem for um, dung breeding flies. So if you have like a big area where cattle are grazing and pooping everywhere and that's not getting broken down into the ground, uh, dung breeding flies will just kind of take over the place and uh, you'll also get issues with parasites and, and things like that. So dung beetles uh, contribute in a lot of ways that we don't think about. Mm.
0: Was there is there any negative thing to when they brought in the dung beetles to Australia? Like, oh, we didn't foresee this problem and now we got these damn dung beetles everywhere and they're ruining this or that. Um, that they, sometimes happens. Yeah, York, it Florida. absolutely
1: does. Whenever we employ biocontrol, I think that there's something bad that comes out of it. Um, they did a pretty good job of researching dung beetles that would um, stay within the range of a, a pasture land. The uh, dung beetles that are native to Australia um, don't do well breaking down cattle dung because they don't like to leave forested areas. And they're also adapted to feed on only marsupial dung. So they they kind of um, keep themselves constricted within this certain kind of range. And then when they brought in cattle, they um, wouldn't venture out of the forest into this kind of open pasture, which is a really different kind of habitat if you Mm -hmm. think about it compared to a forest. So they looked specifically for dung beetles that would, Thrive in that sort of open, sunny pasture kind of area. Um, but there is some bad. They do seem to overcompete or outcompete um, other species of dung beetle. Um, it's more apparent in the U.S. We brought some African species into the American Southwest region, so a kind of deserty area here, too, to break down cattle dung and um since their introduction, they've been kind of moving eastward, and the worry is that they're going to start out competing with the other dung beetles in the region, um, skewing diversity, and, and who knows what will happen from there. But um, we've actually just found them in Kansas, so we know that they've made it about halfway across the country so far. So it'll be interesting, um, but <laughs> perhaps scary to see what will come of that, but it's, it's happening right now.
0: How many different species of dung beetle are there? Oh
1: my God! There's about seven thousand described species of dung beetles, which is basically about how many bird species there are—about eight thousand bird species. It's a pretty diverse group,
0: and they all have their little niches, huh? So, or are they all? I mean, what's the when when you talk about them having different kinds of dung? What's the what is the point? Why why are they preferring some dung over over others, or or some of Mm -hmm. them just whatever dung they can get and some of them dung snobs or
1: some are dung snobs some are dung generalists um when you start to think about dung as um this habitat in and of itself that's sitting within this uh landscape that isn't offering any nutrients of any value to certain groups and then suddenly there's this island of really high nutrients just sitting there. That's also
0: a home it's for it's also you. a home yeah it's, it's food it's, it's like home. a gingerbread Right
1: most. and it's also this like um attractant to females too so it's where reproduction oh, yeah. happens Ladies yeah. Love a good
0: pile. Of I know
1: The stinkier the better. Yeah. And um so it's this really really interesting uh, and in, in ecological jargon, we call it patchy and ephemeral habitat. So it's patchy in that it's really un- evenly distributed and ephemeral in that it's very temporary, too. So it occurs suddenly and then it disappears. And so the organisms that uh, require these kind of things, um, they're really, really fiercely competitive so that they can get their sort of their fair share of this resource um, so, they've evolved ways to outmaneuver one, in, one another in really mm-hmm. cool ways. Um, so, you'll see this sort of partitioning of resources in um, preference for certain kinds of dung. There are dung beetles that, for example, only eat koala dung or only eat sloth dung. Um, and then there's dung beetles that actually eat a wide array of dung.
0: That is it's, such it's a cool really go- know. It's, I mean, that's. Koalas are like the pickiest eater in the world, too. And then you have these really picky beetles. I only eat eucalyptus
1: (laughs) dung. Yeah. um, And there's actually really, really cool behaviors with uh, beetles that are super, super species specific in the dung they eat. And when that species happens to be really slow moving, like a sloth or a koala, they'll actually do this weird behavior called a sit and wait technique where they (laughs) they just sit on the hairs around the anus of the animal. And they just wait for the poop to come out. And then they jump down and grab. So it's just. So it doesn't
0: seem that patient. If you're like right (laughs) on the like, (laughs) but uh, what a strategy! Like no more
1: waiting around to find it or get those odor cues in the environment. They know where that source is at. They're gonna sit there and wait for it to come out. And
0: here it comes, boys! Yeah,
1: yep, get your forks.
0: Yeah. So so the uh, when you talk about um, some of the competition for this stuff, so uh, so say. Say a cow drops a this big, just grand prize, mm-hmm, right? And, mm-hmm. then, and 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 so, what happens? Just, like from from miles away, people or people <laughs> from miles away, beetles are are uh, are are coming. Are, are there like different species oh, yeah. competing yeah. for the same?
1: Uh, even within dung beetles, as this group, um, there's multiple species that will come. But outside of that, it's this entire community uh, of insects that come. You've got um, the dung-breeding flies, for example, which are also locating that dung as a resource to breed and feed on. Um, and then you've also got really cool opportunistic guys coming. There's predators that are there specifically because they know that other insects are attracted to dung to feed on it. So What's eating the beetles? Um, let's see. For beetles, you've got... Um, There's some parasitoid wasp species, for example, that are waiting to grab on to a beetle. Um, There are um, Staphylinid beetles, for example, that are there as predators to catch other insects. Um, And then there's also Hyster beetles, which um, have... Uh, preference to eat maggots so they'll go in and anything that's decomposing really they're attracted to that and it's not because they want that decomposition uh resource but they want uh, to eat the maggots that are (laughs) eating that resource so there's really really interesting interactions going on at these habitats so in and of themselves they're really really um ecologically interesting
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's not. it It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem quite as easy as you, as you'd think. I mean, yeah. it doesn't. It's it's kind of a novel source of nutrients. Not a ton of things mm-hmm. going after dung, but so you're like, well, we're gonna have this dung all to ourselves. Then you show nope. up, and there's all these flies. Yep. And, oh, there goes the neighborhood. All the I know. these other beetles are here. Um, yeah. so so you got your roly poly, but they're not even. They're not even like the the main one, right? There's there's more. What what are the other what are the other dung beetles uh, doing? First off, why what are the roly polies doing? Why why are they?
1: Um, that's a good question. Things like roly polies are probably um, mostly being attracted to the humidity of it, mm-hmm. um, the moisture content of that dung pat. Um, but roly polies are detritivores, so they eat decomposing leaf litter and things like oh, that. Oh, I
0: meant I meant. uh Sorry, I meant the rolling dung beetles. Oh, okay, yeah, that yeah, makes sorry. a lot more sense. Yeah, no, of course. I I just misspoke. Um, <laughs> it's been the fourth podcast this week. I know. Week. Yep. I've been all over the place talking about space and. I'll biomedical. be patient with you. <laughs> um Why are they? Because a lot of beetles are just like the 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 dung drops. They're like mm-hmm. this. This is our home now. Yeah. But uh, the the ones rolling it, uh, why are they picking up dung and rolling it away? What's-
1: so um, if you think about dung as this highly nutritious habitat that's suddenly dropped on the ground in this region that's really, really low in nutrients, um, it's this really, really hotly contested um prized possession to get a piece of that so you'll have all sorts of dung beetles in addition to all the other organisms coming in descending on this um, resource and um, in order to get their fair share they've come up with this really remarkable strategy of tearing off a hunk of dung the best they can forming it into that ball shape and rolling it away from that uh, immense chaos of the dung pad which i think is um, a really good way to describe it Really, um, it is intensely, intensely uh, competitive
0: in those regions. Yeah, you just got to get away from the riffraff.
1: Right, exactly. And that's just one of the behavioral guilds that you see in dung beetles. That rolling behavior is really cool and it's easy for us to see it. Um, But there is a dung guild that are known as tunnelers. So they uh, drill into the dung and they... Excavate these tunnels below the dung pad itself, and they'll go up their tunnel and tear off these hunks of dung and stuff it down into these little uh, tunnels underneath the dung pad um, where they'll lay their eggs, mm. little, building little nests. And then like there's those.
0: Guys. I also yeah. live in a shithole. Yeah, so. so
1: there you go. Yeah.
0: Hey, I, have you heard every single dung pun? That there is, or do you think that there's one out there? I'm really holding out hope haven't... that I'm going to hear yeah, yeah. a new one today. <laughs> really? Oh man, that is a that's a pressure. lot of pressure on me. Of course, you've heard the show. Yeah, way. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, I like I, I like the tone of your Yeah, mm. yeah, of course. You're yeah. doing
1: good, buddy. <laughs> it's pretty good. You'll get it.
0: Does it? I mean, <laughs> to, I. How often do you hear a new one? What, there has to be like once a year where someone comes up with a new dung pond. And you're like, wow! You oh,
1: did it. I wish. No, no it's like there's that. like three. But
0: people must attempt all the time, right? Is that is that yeah? Is it the yeah. Worst there's like the, oh,
1: you research dung beetles. <laughs> oh, that's shitty. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, you know this that right. sort of thing. But yeah.
0: uh, you think I thought I had a shitty job. Yeah, right. but I. I'm like holding it. out hope. See, I have to hear a lot of hack jokes with my job. But yeah, you you are really in a predicament.
1: Yeah, it's rough.
0: Um. Okay. So, <laughs> so you got the mm-hmm. uh, and then you're, you're your about rollers, to, uh, and your rollers, mm-hmm. and you're about to tell me. about... Yeah, her. and then
1: we have this third group, um, called the dwellers, and so they're the ones that are um. Showing perhaps the most ancestral kind of behavior. Um, I don't want to say it's the least evolved because that's kind of this weird uh, way to describe it, especially for people that don't understand evolution. Um,
0: well, to, they just found something to, that works, and they're right. Exactly. So
1: this is a really, really sort of. Uh, unsophisticated behavior compared to the other behaviors where they'll just tunnel into this dung and (laughs) they live in it and they eat it um some of them will actually show a little bit of nesting behavior inside of the dung pat but others really just kind of wallow in it
0: and they're they're probably just the best at it i mean no one they're they've been doing it forever no one can right yeah
1: it's a strategy that still works so Mm. why would you change it
0: hmm it, it it seems it seems nice you have yeah. this nice warm spot you just hole in there it's malleable it's easy to mm-hmm. it's easy to shape what uh so so what happens one of these one of these guys shows up at the dong and then what's uh what's the next step they just tunnel in there and start chipping away and creating like a uh space inside of some him?
1: of them will yeah some will just drill in so really uh <laughs> if you come up to a big uh pad of cattle dung on the ground you can and it's dried out a little bit you can pick it up and crack it open and you'll see all these little tunnels drilled in it and literally just a dung beetle sitting in it like there's there's no kind of packed away little cave built or anything like that mm. um others will show behaviors where they'll um actually kind of carve out a little space for themselves in there and they'll um, create little um, brood balls inside. So these little um, encapsulated dung mounds that they'll lay their eggs in. Um, But they're, they're showing this kind of spectrum of the more unsophisticated behaviors, the more ancestral behaviors of dung beetles. When you get into tunnelers, you'll see that tunneling down and also construction of brood balls where they'll lay their eggs, and then finally have perhaps the most sophisticated behaviors with the rollers, where they're constructing that really nice, round, uh, spherical ball, rolling it away, and then burying it underground, where they'll lay their egg in there. Um, And that's also where you'll start to see, because it takes more effort to make that ball and take it away, um, you'll start to see things like um, parental cooperation and and really cool parental care start Types of behaviors with the dung beetles, which is honestly pretty rare in the insect world. Mm -hmm.
0: And like what? What are they? So they're actually sticking around and kind of guarding the. Yeah. Yeah.
1: In some cases they are. um, But even the fact that they're provisioning nests is uh, highly unusual for insects. So that's already this really cool um, example of an organism that is investing a lot of resources into its young. And so you'll see low fecundity. Um, Some dung beetles that are really large will only lay one egg in a breeding season, which is very crazy for insects. Um, but they're investing a lot of time and effort into their young, um, and they're trying to ensure the survival of the young too. So you'll see things like, um, with tunnelers, for example, Um, The mom hanging out in the tunnel, she'll stick around with the brood ball, uh, keep it in an upright position, and they have found that if you remove the the adult maternal dung beetle, um, that fungi will start to grow on that brood ball too, and then the larvae um, fail to thrive after that. So they're contributing in a lot of ways.
0: You talked about the low fecundity. I I would have, yeah. if I had to guess, I would have been like a uh, hundred. They have like a hundred right. little beetles or something like that. I mean, don't spiders have like a thousand right. or yeah. something mm-hmm. crazy like that? Uh, so, But one egg sometimes?
1: Yeah, in some cases, yeah. So um, the smaller guys, which I worked with a lot of smaller guys uh, in my research, they tend to lay more eggs. But it's still, you'll see the sort of provisioning, for a single egg. So still a lot of effort going into a single egg, but they'll make multiple brood balls and lay up to about 70 eggs in a breeding season. Mm.
0: And, and are, are both the male and the female sticking around and, and playing a part? Um, not for the, the guys I
1: was studying, studying, but yeah, for certain species, that is the case that they'll cooperate together to form that brood ball and take it away. Um, um, for some tunnelers also, you'll see, really cool behaviors uh, where the males will guard the tunnels. So whenever you see a dung beetle with those really, really impressive uh, horns that come up, uh, they can take up quite a bit of space in the tunnel. And that's the idea of those horns is to create these obstacles so that other males can't get past um, to mate with the female behind. little
0: hmm. no mate guarding behavior. That's right.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, really fascinating. So then you'll see – this um, amazing morphological variation within a single species, even where you'll have your major males with those huge horns. You'll have minor males that uh, end up doing cool stuff like being sneaker males.
2: Uh, oh, yeah. They yeah. Have sneakers. They have
1: sneakers. Yeah. So you see this in like cuttlefish and really, um, really cool, uh, com- complex animals. Yeah. But you also see it in dung beetles. We'll have sneaker males, that are able to um, infiltrate the nest and mate with them, the female on the so side. So they pass and- themselves
0: off as a female. Yeah, uh-huh. And then, and then this big jock male yep. guy's like, oh, get in there, right, ladies. Yeah. And he's not terribly discerning. And then he's
1: protecting the other guy's
0: <laughs>
1: progeny. amazing.
0: <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, so what's what's some of the... Um, uh, what's a dung beetle uh, love life like usually is it? i imagine it ranges all over the place but how if you're if you're a dung beetle how are you how are you hooking up like what are they just
1: they're meeting at the dung pat
0: yeah it's, it's that's like the nightclub it's, yeah it's the, it's the singles it's the night home. at it's the every, bar it's yeah everything
1: uh-huh. yep that's uh you very very rarely see pheromones uh with dung beetles okay um, some of them do they'll like they'll build a dung ball and then they'll release some pheromones to attract the female but really it's just dung is attractive stuff to both of them and they both come in and they meet each other they may yeah. as well hook up while they're you know
0: i don't need eating. any clone or anything i have all this dung <laughs> yeah. what else could you want yep
1: yeah, exactly huh. so uh it's obviously the s- central part of their uh survival
0: mm. is there is there any um when you talk about having having these big horns um are any of them uh is any of that a, a, a part of the like mating display or anything or is it both do both males and females have this uh
1: it's it's mostly just a male thing um and it seems to be a, a, an example of sexual selection mm-hmm. um you know you've got this uh, preference from females to mate with larger males with larger horns um, is sort of this trade-off for males where you only have so many resources to go around. So if you've got lots of resources, you can build a really big horn. Um, and that's also kind of a, a, a detriment. It's hard to carry that thing around. It's about one fifth of their body weight, so they're showing, "Yeah, I can carry this huge, extra piece of me around, and I still don't get get eaten by a bird." So mm. I'm the guy you should mate with. Um, so impressive. I know. It's <laughs> cool.
0: Um, so when we were talking about mating behavior and sexual selection and and uh, the amount of competition you want you want the the biggest horns possible and whatnot. What kind of, um, I was curious how much competition there is. Are these, are dung beetles, um, living in groups or are they near each other? Are they, are they kind of so, flying solo or,
1: um, they're basically on their own until they're attracted to this, you know, really concentrated source. And so then they're all forced to interact with each other in this really small area of the dung pad itself. And since this is the area where they're, where the males are feeding, meeting the females, um, this is their everything. So you'll see a lot of competition mm. to get the dung, to get the girl, and so on. Um, so you'll see some grappling kind of behaviors too with the rollers, um, where. Um, thievery is going on there's dung beetles trying to steal the the balls that others have worked hard to form and are trying to take away um and you'll see you know sometimes multiple dung beetles fighting over a dung ball
0: um but then you'll also see <laughs> how the, long does a dung ball take to construct
1: um it depends um they work faster when it's warmer but it's a, it's an investment of some time sometimes an hour or so, mm-hmm. um, to, to build it. And then it's a lot of effort to roll it away too. And, to the whole time be beating off all these guys that are trying to, uh, steal it from you also. So it's a, it's a lot of work to do that. And then, um, the battles that we can't see underground with the tunnelers, um, those are really hard for us to observe obviously, but that's going on too. So there's this whole, um, Drama going on underneath the ground below this dung pat too of intense competition and male on male battling and then you know the scandalous sneaker males and uh all sorts of interactions
0: that was what i wanted to ask too is is how are you making these observations are you going out into the field do you have Uh, beetles in the lab at all
1: um we don't (laughs) and um these are not observations that i've really made with tunnelers at all um but thanks to the hard work of other people studying dung beetles um it's something that was um unclear for a long time that people are actually doing the work of um observing what's going on below the ground now um but for a long time we just weren't sure and we didn't really understand why uh dung beetles had horns um except that it was probably sexual selection Hmm. but yeah only recently we've started to understand these things and there's a lot about um dung beetle biology but a lot of insect biology in general that's just unknown there's a lot to be discovered with insects
0: Hmm. uh how how many uh, how many of you are out there in the in the dung beetle uh, uh science community how many people are out there studying the dung beetles
1: um i couldn't even tell you really um it's hard to say. I know of a number of labs that work with dung beetles or use dung beetle systems as a model to study something else like animal weaponry, which would be like mm. those the big horns that they used to right. battle each other, for example, or um, are using dung beetles as a model to um, understand um, biodiversity or overall health of a habitat and things like that. Um but even at a, a national conference I went to pretty recently for um, entomology, there were not a huge number of people there um, to talk about dung beetle research.
0: No dung beetle conferences. No.
1: Just yet. <sighs> I know.
0: I want there to be. as that soon as be there great. is, you let me know. I'm, yeah, I'm you'll be there. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm going to write a whole hour about dung. Beetles. That would be great. I'm come up with dung beetle yeah. puns. It's just that, an album that you guys haven't heard mm-hmm. yet. It's going to blow everyone's oh, man, mind. You're going to kill gonna, it. <laughs> it's going to be pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. amazing. Um, <laughs> so, um, so back to uh, back to reproduction. Mm-hmm. One of our favorite topics. Yeah, in this, I mean. That's what how, else is how there? We got, there is really nothing else. That's <laughs> uh, it's why we're here. Yep. It's, it's the, the name of the game of everything. Um how so this they're they're drilling well, different species are doing it a little bit differently, but say the shitholers, they're going down, they're they're laying their brood, and then but this dung's drying out fairly fast, right? <laughs> how how off, or how fast between they lay the egg and then and then they're kind of staying there guarding it, mm-hmm. I guess. And, some of and, them, yeah. Some of them. And uh, and how long are they having to wait wait around? And then when it hatches, are these things just off and running and on their own right yep. away? Uh uh-huh.
1: Because they're investing so many resources in getting um, the egg to successfully hatch and to have that larva successfully pupate and so on, um, their odds of getting it to be an adult are pretty good compared to other insects that are just gonna, you know, lay a raft of eggs somewhere and take off and not ever give it a second thought. So um, that investment pays off for them. And um, so you'll see those behaviors where they'll um, provision a nest, lay the egg and they'll take off from there. There's the ones that will stick around for a while and make sure the, the brood ball is upright for some time. That's free of fungi. Um, and then you'll have some that are also waiting until um, the adult emerges and then they'll leave.
0: What's, what's the best, uh, What's the best area for the dung? Is there just some dung out there that's just the, oh, the real man. prize? Like where, if you if you're a dung beetle, where you want to go and retire? Is there is there a particular climate or something that?
1: Um, they like they like it warm. Um, the warmer it is, the better they are t- at um being fast and getting to the resource quicker building a dung ball faster and so on so that's just the nature of being a cold-blooded organism um you need that heat in the environment to be able to uh do anything really um and so let's see if we're wondering what the best dung is for like the dream dung for an animal That's really hard to say. Um, for the most, there's so much great dung. There's so much good dung. How do you just pick one? Ah,
0: Doesn't seem right.
1: Um, (laughs) I guess
0: it depends on the species. It depends on the species. You got the one following Um, the sloth around. Yeah,
1: but um, some of the things that are really attractive about. By the way,
0: if I was a sloth and I had something crawling around on my butthole, I would be moving a little faster.
1: Don't you think so?
0: Yeah, yeah, I would. But uh, anyway, back back to the more. (laughs) Pressing the and best serious dung. question. <laughs> um, the, best
1: the moisture content is actually a pretty attractive component for the dung beetles, mm-hmm. uh, so that's why overall, say, cattle dung is more preferred over horse dung. Cattle dung's like I don't remember, like maybe ten percent more um, uh, liquid. so higher in moisture than uh, horse dung, but studies where they've tried to kind of suss out the The dung that gets the most beetles um, in terms of abundance, maybe not necessarily richness, like the number of species, but just overall the number of individuals, is usually human dung. um, Or also some studies have found that uh, dead fish are really attractive, too, Mm. which is crazy. Um, But, yeah, I guess the idea is that human dung is pretty high in moisture, and we also have varied diets, so that would appeal to Perhaps a wider spectrum of dung beetles too. So we are omnivores. So um, dung beetles that might only be attracted to carnivore poop might be attracted to ours, plus all the uh, herbivore dung beetles as well.
0: Plus we have like beer dung and yeah, stuff like know, that. Oh, sorts yeah, I Yeah, interesting stuff. stuff. Cheeseburger in ours. dung. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, what about uh, what about um, first? Well, two things. One. What is if dung beetles are eating dung? What are what are they defecating? I mean, how bad is the <laughs> is the stuff that they're uh, crapping out? Like like is it they they are defecating right? Yeah, uh-huh, they, are, they just, do. Does anything eat there?
1: Um. Well, so when a larva is in that brood ball, for example, so it's stuck inside of this the spherical chamber, and so while it's eating. That dung, that is its little nest. Um, it's also pooping mm-hmm. in there. And so they're eating their own poop over time also while they're, sure. I mean, why not? It's yeah. there. Um, so that's an instance of them eating uh, dung beetle poop. Um, they just
0: can't get enough. I
1: love the stuff. <laughs> um, there's also dung beetles that have been observed to kind of ride on the backs of millipedes and wait for them to poop. And then they'll eat that dung as well. Mm. Um, but, yeah, they're um, the adult dung beetles have these millipede really...
0: Millipede dung.
1: Millipede dung.
0: That doesn't seem like that's uh, much of a prize.
1: I, it's not very appealing to me, but they seem <laughs> to be crazy about it. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, the adult dung beetles themselves have really, really dainty little mouth parts. So, they're really not grinding up all the coarse material in dung at all. They're it's more like they're kind of sopping up the the juicy soup of bacteria that are in dung itself. So um, and then the larva will actually eat the coarse material within so like the, the plant fibers and stuff like that.
0: So what are you working on specifically like right now? What's your
1: Um I am wrapping up a thesis on dung beetle attraction to carrion, uh, in the Kansas Flint Hills. And with that one, I was just kind of looking at, um, I kind of mentioned it before at the beginning, the abundances of dung beetles at the head and tail end of rat carrion, just to see, um, if there's some sort of preference that we've been overlooking and trying to, um, address that hypothesis before that dung beetles are only attracted to um, the contents of the gastrointestinal tract as an animal is decomposing and trying to understand that a little bit better. And um, it's been really fun and a rewarding project when we found that distribution patterns of dung beetles um, on rat carrion Uh, Follow the same patterns as carrion beetle distribution on rat carrion, which is really cool to me because that's um, this example of so carrion beetles are well known to feed on carrion. They target carrion as a resource. And so to see that their distributions are similar to dung beetles could perhaps suggest that similar resources are being targeted. So dung beetles are after more than just dung. Hmm.
0: So, you're, you're just, you're into all the best stuff, just carcasses. If it's nasty, then. Yeah. What about you get into puke sometimes? You you ever think about maybe in the future studying? That uh, would be fun. Yeah.
1: I could, I don't know, bait traps with puke and see what comes. (laughs) Maybe some new species yet to be discovered.
0: Um, So, uh, what about. When, uh, so we, we've been talking a little bit about cow patties here and there. What about um, some of the insecticides and yeah. you know, that are being used these days? That's are, a great those... point.
1: Yeah, that's been really uh, detrimental to dung beetles. Um, for example, um, there's this stuff called ivermectin. It's this uh, systemic dewormer that's used for cattle. It's also used for um, domestic pets. Dogs are on it a lot of the time, and they're a uh, heartworm medication, for example. And um, this is this really general um, invertebrate killer. So it's killing nematodes, which is great for those animals and their well-being. But it's, um, it's not breaking down while as it's um, moving through that animal system. So it's, it's uh, excreted with the dung and it will actually kill dung beetles which is a problem because, you know, that's the next ecological step is the dung beetles get in there and they break down the, the poo. And so um, that will lead to dung building up uh, in an environment, mm. which is a problem. And uh, we've had some cattle ranchers reach out to us trying to figure out why, you know, on their pastures, dung pats are not breaking down and um, – it's a really important to consider the kind of regimen that you're keeping your cattle on. And it's a hard balance to figure out because you don't want to not treat your cattle; that would be cruel. But figuring out a way to do the least harm ecologically is really important.
0: Hmm. Um. What What do they? So someone calls and asks for your help. <laughs> yeah, I'm you, the
1: dung detective.
0: Do you do you, ha- do you actually go out there and try to? Help? Yeah.
1: Yeah. We've gone out. Um. Uh, we're working on a project with a, a bison ranch. Trying to understand what's going on. Um, wow, oh, go-
0: bison, I mean, that seems yeah. like a prize.
1: All right, I know. And especially because uh, bison is the native large herbivore for this region anyway. Cattle are not native at all. They're from Asia, and we just kind of threw them in here. Um, I
0: didn't know that. Yeah, uh-huh,
1: yep, yeah, bison, oh. bison are where it's at, not cattle. Right. Yeah. So, um, and I don't really have an answer for them about what's going on, but it's something we've gone out there and, you know, Flipped Best over good. some some bison turds and tried to see what was going on. Nothing, no beetles. Some some beetles, not many, and actually we were seeing a lot of uh, one of the introduced species from the uh, American Southwest. This guy called uh, Digionthophagus um, that. He, He's made it this far into the continental US now, and we're wondering if perhaps it's out competing the native dung beetles of this region now, and that's what's going on, or perhaps it's some sort of interaction with. Um, uh dewormers or
0: we, maybe we need to build a wall like we
1: a, need a to build beetle. a wall <laughs> yep yeah. these dung beetles are stealing our dung yeah
0: um well i'm, I'm gonna need to go and feed the beetles in a bit here i i uh that's what i'm calling it from now on it's, it's, a, it's a cuter way of, i like to call
1: it making bait
0: oh yeah, yeah i like that
1: yeah isn't it delightful
0: it is yeah <laughs> Um, that's, uh, that is a lovely, lovely way of phrasing it. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I have my, uh, as we wrap up, I have my guests each week name a non-profit of their choice. Are you, uh, bi- let me guess, Bison, uh, Bison, Save the bison. Aso- Association. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I wanted to promote Expanding Your Horizons, which is a, um, organization that encourages Um, young girls particularly around teenage age uh, to investigate colleges particularly STEM fields um, and see what's there for them this is targeted to a group of young girls that are um, they have no family that have gone to college and it just kind of helps them visualize themselves in that kind of world Um, we participate in that at Wichita State University and it's been really rewarding experience
0: That is wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Rachel, for joining me. It's been great. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. I'll talk with you next week. Next week on the podcast, I talk with assistant professor of biology at the University of Oklahoma. Catherine Marsky joins me, who is... Uh, this is this is a lot of the you know we talk a lot about um, well life in general, but evolution, uh, ecosystems, that sort of thing. This is um, oddly something that uh, kind of an intersection of a couple different topics that uh, somehow we we haven't specifically kind of talked about before. We're talking about we're gonna learn a new word um, <laughs> phileogeography. <laughs> I think I'm saying that right phileogeography i had to look it up. I didn't. I was surprised I didn't know this word. Um, The—it's kind of the geographical distribution of genetic variation. Uh, sounds more complicated than it is, or at least we. Uh, Catherine was able to break it down and make it nice and easy for uh, for me to understand. Uh, talking about the geographic and evolutionary ecology methods to understand the history of species within a space so basically how how uh, a region affects uh, species and populations and how those populations affect a region and so on really cool conversation Um, so tune in for that thanks for all the wonderful reviews on iTunes and for telling all of your friends and family about this show hope you're learning a lot and having a little fun along the way And thanks for the support, again, on Patreon.com. Each and every little bit of your Patreon support goes directly to me. And it's paying for things like uh, my Uber and Lyft rides to go to these uh, podcasts. And um, for the uh, production costs and editing costs, that sort of thing. Keeping the website uh, looking crisp and clean and sparkly. Uh, I would be really bad at selling <laughs> selling websites, I just realized. But uh, I hope I'm good at thanking you guys for your support on patreon.com slash Shane Moss. It is a direct bit of income right to my pocket. It's wonderful. It's really helping me out, so it, it means I can dedicate that much more time to this podcast. I'm also putting additional content on there. I appreciate it. Special thanks to Jimmy Fro with the Jimmy Fro Podcast for doing such a wonderful sound mixing job and editing job on this podcast and for introducing me to all sorts of cool indie music on his podcast, the Jimmy Fro Podcast. Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorite.
3: happening discotech. remember when we call clubs <laughs> discotheques <laughs> lol the 70s were crazy night the crowd bustles with young hot mexicans who are supposed to be cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby <laughs> there's sex in the air and poppy wants a whiff
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs>
3: Scarface, twenty-two to forty-five.
2: <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic.
3: Devilishly handsome, not even a little bit Italian-looking. So get that out of your dumb brain. <laughs> (laughs) Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. (laughs) Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. (laughs) Why would even Why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype, (laughs) and that he has come for his cocaine.